All right, so last month, Sam went down to Nashville for the Podcast Movement Conference, and he did a fireside chat with John Lee Dumas. You might know him as the host of the Entrepreneurs on Fire podcast. And if you like My First Million, you might like the Entrepreneurs on Fire podcast. It's the same. It's like inspiration and strategy around your entrepreneurial journey and helps you create the life you've always dreamed of. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? All right, well, guess what? It's also part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. That's who brings you our show and other great business shows. So if you want to listen, learn, and grow, go listen to Entrepreneurs on Fire. It's on the HubSpot Podcast Network. You can find it at HubSpot.com slash Podcast Network. So yeah. uh, what is the superpower for Elon Musk? Uh, uh, first principle thinking. Okay. He can look at a system and, and say from first principles, this should be possible. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Uh, so, again, just want to make an introduction. Uh, I'm Trunk Fan, uh, lead writer for The Hustle. And uh, we're here with uh, Peter Diamandis. Uh, Peter, I want to give a very brief intro here uh, just for our Please. audience. Br- a brief for the better. A very brief for our uh, audience, a lot of entrepreneurs and investors. Uh, but then I'll, I'll kind of pass it to you to for you to break down who Peter Diamandis is because you'll obviously do better than me. But um, so, you know, you went to MIT where you studied biology. You got a Harvard medical degree uh, at the same time uh, while you're studying medicine. You started a space company, uh, satellite, I believe, microsatellites. And uh, you basically kind of gone this route since where you've been involved in the cutting edge of science and technology. You founded over 20 companies um, uh, in the human longevity space, in the space space. And uh, you also uh, very famously known for the X Prize, which is uh, where you solve uh, the world's grandest challenge with uh, incentive prize competitions. It started with the Ansari $10 million space prize, which uh, that, 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 that was awarded I believe 10 years after uh, you started the prize from, I believe, 97 to 2006. And that technology was later licensed by Virgin Galactic and uh, your friend Richard Branson. And this year was a very, uh, you know, big milestone year for that uh, when uh, he took that first flight. And now you've spent a lot of your time in the past few years. I believe uh, longevity is a space you're very interested in. And uh, I would like, uh, I guess, from here to pass the baton off to you uh, with that kind of uh, uh, context. What is Pierre Diamandis doing today in 2021 and what is most important to you? Oh my God. Um, uh, I think what's most important to me is helping entrepreneurs make a bigger impact on the planet. When I think about uh, the tools we have as entrepreneurs, as executives, as leaders, are never it's never been uh, more powerful than today. And I think that entrepreneurs are the means by which we can address the world's biggest problems and uplift every man, woman, and child on the planet. And so uh, that's a driving force for me. I, you know, I teach and I talk about massively or massive transformative purposes. And uh, I help a lot of entrepreneurs come up with their purpose, their passion, their MTP. And mine is to inspire and guide entrepreneurs to create a hopeful, compelling, and abundant future for humanity. So I think about that a lot. And um, uh, right now I'm working on my fourth, fifth, and sixth book. <laughs> uh, I have a, a book with Tony Robbins called uh, Life Force. It'll be coming out in February, uh, which is looking at all of the breakthroughs that are adding decades onto your life. I've got a book with another friend, Salim Ismail, called Exponential Organizations 2, that looks at a new species of company 
that exist today. These are companies that are, you know, performing by tenfold their competition. And then I'm just because abundance as a book was so important to me. Uh, we're approaching the 10 year anniversary and I'm going to do a, a abundance revisited because so much of the case for abundance is so much stronger. And there is a few key places that it's weak and we need to focus attention. So that's what the book will be, uh, will be about. I'm a dad of two 10 year old boys. Um, I have a half, uh, half a billion dollar venture fund, bold capital partners. Um, I have a few, uh, four companies in the healthcare space. Uh, I've got a new venture called Future Loop we can talk about, which is, you know, how do you get the news that actually is meaningful to you versus right. the, the dystopian negative news out there? And I'm just, I'm a kid having fun, uh, following my dreams. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. No, that's perfect. I actually, uh, definitely a couple of those items were on my question list. I know you have talked about the crisis news network in the past CNN, yeah. and I'm sure yeah. Future Loop is meant to address that. But uh, so last week I asked uh, the, my Twitter audience, you know, speak, had the opportunity to speak with Peter Diamandis. You know, do you have any questions? Almost, I mean, by far the majority were uh, uh, around your longevity work. So yeah. I kind of want to toss some questions that general direction just to get started and happy to knock off some of those other topics later. And Sure. Uh, so just from the top level, I know that uh, you are friends with David Sinclair. He wrote the book Lifespan, and you yes. mentioned him in your previous uh, podcast and interviews. So I was wondering if you could speak through, uh, I'm not sure if you 100% are, are in agreement and alignment with his signs or what he thinks about life uh, extension and reversing of life uh, um, aging. But my question would be then, if you were to set the, the field of where the science is and how you look at uh, life extension and longevity, is it that you're thinking about reversing aging or stopping aging entirely as a, as yeah. just a framework? It's a, it's a great question. And I think one of the things that David Sinclair deserves absolute credit for uh, as a spokesperson in this field with incredible credentials, right? He's at Harvard Medical School, professor of, gene uh, of genetics, um, extremely achieved. Uh, his book, Lifespan, is an amazing book that I, you know, I promote more than I do my own books. If you haven't read Lifespan, you should go out and get that book. It's, by the way, it's a great audible. He does an interview between every chapter and uh, David's just brilliant. Um, and David has helped people understand that aging is a disease and that if you, it's the, you know, cardiac, uh, cancer, neurodegenerative, all of these things are correlated with aging. The more you age, the higher probability of these things. And, and David has spoken about the notion that aging is a disease that can be slowed, stopped, and even reversed. Now, a couple of thoughts just to put this in context for folks. And I spend a lot of time, right? 80% of my investments are in this place. Uh, I run a community called the Abundance 360 Summit, where I coach uh, some 400 CEOs and leaders. And uh, the most popular topic there is longevity. Every year, I sort of say, this is on the leading edge. This is on the leading edge. This is what you can do now. This is what you do this decade ahead. So uh, the question is, why do we age? And uh, there's a few things to point out. First of all, 
back a hundred thousand years ago, a million years ago, when we were early hominids, uh, you know, evolving on the savannas of Africa, you would go into puberty at age thirteen. No birth control back then, so by the time yeah. you were fourteen, you were pregnant, and uh, by the time you were twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight, you were a grandparent. Your kids were having kids, and back then, food was scarce. Right, there was no McDonald's, no Whole Foods. And the worst thing you could do for the perpetuation of the species was steal food from your grandchildren's mouths. The best thing you could do was like die and give back your bit. So we, we didn't live really past age 30, past the late 20s back then. Um, and so if you, were, if you had a disease that would kill you in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, it was never selected against. And so we didn't promote, we didn't have evolutionary forces for a long-lived life. That's the first thing to point out. The second thing, interestingly enough, um, you know, I'm 60 now. Uh, I have the same genes as when I was 20. And the question is, why don't I look like I was 20? Um, And it turns out it's not your genome sequence. It's not the 3.2 billion from your mother or 3.2 billion from your father. It's which of those 30,000 genes is turned on and which is turned off. And the, that is called the epigenome, epi meaning above the genome, it's a control. And your epigenome determines uh, which genes should be on and should be off. And the challenge is as you get older, some of the wrong genes are on and some of the wrong genes are off. And that's principally uh, what's driving aging. And so there's a lot of different approaches uh, to addressing, uh, addressing that. And, you know, when I think about the biggest markets for entrepreneurs or investors on the planet, it's AI and longevity or biotech. There's no bigger markets on, on planet Earth. Right. You have said that if you want to make a billion dollars, you know, change a billion people's lives, right? And yeah, uh, I, just, I love saying, I saying 8 that, billion that, people's lives. Yes, it would be. And, uh, you know, I say the world's biggest problems, the world's biggest business opportunities and here's, here's one of the problems is everybody up until now is considered aging inevitable and just part of life. But what if it yeah. isn't inevitable? What if, in fact, aging is something that can be slowed, can be stopped? Um, that would be extraordinary. So uh, you, know, you, you kind of mentioned I'll, how – sorry, can you hear me, Peter? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you fine. Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask, uh, you, you mentioned how large the longevity space was as an opportunity. I was wondering if you could talk through some of the sub-verticals. And I know you've invested in uh, stem cell research and also uh, uh, gene therapies. It's like, What are the kind of uh, the equivalents of, for example, if you were to go into finance, you could go into asset management, insurance. Or yeah, investing. sure. What are the similar verticals? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So there's, uh, first of all, uh, I would say that there's biotech, which is uh, drugs, uh, small molecules or cells being used to impact health. Uh, then there is uh, med tech, which is AI, robotics, sensors, networks, and so forth. So I'll divide into those those two areas. In the biotech arena, um, wh- uh, I'm very interested in the world of stem cells, right? Your stem cells are your, what are called pluripotent cells. These cells can go from a stem cell into any number, any tissue, uh, you know, neurons, liver, kidney, 
cardiac, you know, pulmonary, lung, et cetera, and, and differentiate those tissues. And we, when we're born, our placenta is an organ that generates all these stem cells. I think of it as a 3D printer that manufactures the baby. Um, and then when we're born, we have a large supply of stem cells, and those stem cells are there to repair any damage to go from this pluripotent stem cell into new skin or nerve or muscle or whatever it's required. But as we grow older, our supply of stem cells um, diminishes radically, like a thousandfold, a hundred thousandfold. And so you have less cells, these stem cells in your body to really solve uh, any damage. And so one of the areas is how do you revitalize your stem cells? How do you supply new stem cells to the body? That's a big area of interest. Um, and one of my company's cellularity just went public uh, on the NASDAQ CELU is one of the leading uh, manufacturing companies for using cells as medicine, uh, cellular, cellular medicine. And, and it derives from the placenta, natural killer cells, T cells, stem cells that are then used in any human because they can, because the placenta has a very unique quality that um, uh, it doesn't know self yet. And it can be, uh, provided to any person without any kind of an immune reaction. Another area is the area of vaccines. And vaccines have become, you know, very well known in the last you know, 18 months, two years with, uh, with COVID. Um, and let me just put my plug in for everybody. Guys, uh, vaccines are science. And if you've not been vaccinated for COVID, please do. Um, the CDC just came out with a, uh, a study that says you're 11 times more likely to die from not being vaccinated than you are to die from being vaccinated, meaning um, it, the numbers are there and they're panning out. Uh, but vaccines can also be used for different things. And one of my company's vaccinity is using uh, vaccines to uh, stop Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, uh heart attack and stroke, um, migraines. We uh, use a vaccine that turns your immune system on to create antibodies that target a specific protein in your body. And it's a way of treating chronic disease for pennies on the dollar or a hundred, a thousand times cheaper than other biologics. Um, you know, other areas are small molecules. Uh, you know, David Sinclair talks about uh, NMN, uh, uh, nicotinamide mononucleotide, uh, which is a precursor to something called NAD+. It's part of the energy system of your body, and it helps you control which genes are turned on and which genes are turned off. And, um, you know, this book, Life Force, that I'm uh, co-authoring with Tony that comes out in February is a look at all of these things in a very understandable language. Right. So, Yeah. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 
And, and so you've walked through kind of uh, the medical technology and, and the biotech side. Let's say that uh, the applications of uh, these advances were to be implemented. How long uh, do you think somebody could potentially live to? And over what time frame would this happen? Yeah. So my mission, uh, what I'm focused on right now is how do I add at least a decade of healthy life this decade? And then uh, we're going to start intercepting a whole new set of, of biotechnologies. Now, the other area of biotechnology, and I'll come back to this, to your question in a second, another area of biotechnology moving at light speed is the whole CRISPR gene editing systems. And there are multiple uh, CRISPR gene editing systems. Uh, which are becoming extraordinarily powerful in being able to do precise edits in your book of life. Um, you know, uh, uh, our DNA is a language of four nucleotides represented by A, T, C, and G. And we have 3.2 billion from each of our parents. And CRISPR allows us to go in there and edit and correct a single nucleotide, which a lot of times can be the cause of a genetic disease that's ailed your family line for centuries. Um, the other is gene therapy, uh, which different from CRISPR, which is to edit your existing genome. Gene therapy is using a sort of a robotic virus, uh, typically what's called an adeno-associated virus, um, to deliver a new copy of a gene into your cells. The gene could be an additional copy of what's there. It could be a copy uh, that of a gene that's missing or an alternate version of a gene that you already have. And this plus genome sequencing plus genome writing um, is really moving at exponential speeds. Um, so these are the technologies along with artificial intelligence that are making a dent in the longevity universe. Uh, I think uh, in conversations with folks like David Sinclair and George Church, both at Harvard, you know, the notion is uh, they both believe and have said that they think we can get to, you know, 120 at least, 150. Now, I'm 60. If I make it to 120, I'm intercepting 60 more years right. of, of advances. And I guarantee you that we're going to slay aging period probably in the next 20, 30 years at the outmost. So it's not, you know, it's ultimately a phrase that I use from Ray Kurzweil is living long enough to live forever. Your job isn't, um, you know, to make it all the way to 120, it's to live an extra 20 years for the purpose of, you know, uh, getting to the impact of quantum computing and AI on these areas. There's a concept called longevity escape velocity um, that uh, Ray Kurzweil um, has popularized and I, I write about in this upcoming book. And it's the notion that today, for every year that you're alive, science is extending your age by a quarter year. Now, the question is, when will we get to the point where for every year of your life, science is extending your life for more than a year? Uh, Ray Kurzweil predicts it's the next 12 years, and his predictions are pretty damn good. Uh, George Church has said, you know, he thinks it's within the next uh, 10 to 15 years, so the same time frame. So, this is where we're going. And ultimately, you know, I don't think, what wouldn't you pay for an extra, you know, 20, 30 healthy years of life? Now, this is not slobbering in a wheelchair. This is where you have the aesthetics, you look great, the cognition, you're thinking clearly, 
the mobility you're able to move around to enjoy those extra years. And what would you do with an extra 30 years of healthy life or more? No, I think, I mean, uh, David uh, brings it up in his book, right? The societal implications of all these extra years. So that's actually what I, one of the questions I wanted to touch on is what is the accessibility to your point? It's like, what, what would somebody pay, right? Clearly, uh, somebody with means would pay almost anything to have their life extended. And the question becomes, how accessible will this technology be? And it, and if we were to extend uh, life, uh, I know the common questions are around resources, overpopulation. Uh, I know those there's counter forces too of just a lot of- uh, Well, let me, let me address that. So first of all, let's dismiss the overpopulation myth. Okay. Um, I put out a blog uh, just a few weeks ago and I put out about three blogs per week on science and technology impacting longevity. Just go to diamantis.com and you can uh, you can look for it. There's a search bar on my blogs. And it turns out that, you know, when the pop, when the book, The Population Bomb was written, um, things looked dire. This is like 50, 60 years ago. Back then, the average was something like five children per family globally, especially in Africa. But Today, we've dropped from like five and a half children per family globally to a reproduction rate of like 2.4 children per family. In the United States, we're below the replacement rate, which is 2.1. Uh, in Japan and many parts of Europe are below the replacement rate. China and India, Africa have all come down. Uh, I was interviewing Elon Musk uh, in April. We were launching a $100 million uh, X Prize he funded. And he basically said, uh, you know, the biggest one, the biggest problems he's concerned about uh, is this notion of uh, underpopulation and the human race going out with a whimper where we don't have the labor to support our ongoing capabilities. So it turns out longevity is critically important to continue to have the labor uh, uh, there you know, as we sort of hit peak in 20 years and then, um, you know, start a rapid decline. And one last thing is uh, there was a study done by Oxford and Harvard recently that said for every year of life we add on the average, the, hu- the global economy increases by $38 trillion. That's the impact of one extra year of healthy life for the world. So across uh, the average uh, uh, yeah. lifespan. Okay, wow. That is that's, that's, a, that's that. huge. That's yeah, like it's 40% huge. of the global economy. Yeah. And so it's like when you're at the top of your game and you're earning the most and you're able to make the best impacts and you've got the best relationships rather than hanging up your shingle, what happens if you've got the energy and vitality to not only go but accelerate? And the question becomes, are these things going to be affordable for everybody? And the kinds of treatments that we're talking about uh, don't cost a lot um, and definitely will not in the volumes we're, we're speaking of. Rick Kurzweil tells a, a, a great tale. He says, you know, the cell phone came out in the 1980s. And back then it was the size of a briefcase. Um, it cost tens of thousands of dollars. And you drop a call every, every block in Manhattan. Yeah. I mean, it really sucked. <laughs> so... You know, back when it first came out, when it didn't work well, all the wealthy people paid for it. And today, there are more cell phones on the planet than there are humans, and they're cheap and they work extraordinarily well. All right. And it's always been the case that, yes, the wealthy will will be the first movers to some degree, 
but by the time the bugs are worked out, it's cheap and available to everybody. And I, I do think uh, we're going to see that um, in the biotech field as well. No, that's uh, as I've definitely seen the that that rebuttal to the overpopulation side, right? Is like if you actually look at the largest, China is the best example. The China is about the half the population it is now by the end of the century is the estimate. And uh, the, the the final question I had around longevity was. What, what kind of impact does this have on finances for people? If you're going to live to 60 and you're planning for retirement at 60 and now you're going to live to 120, how much is that going to change kind of the retirement industry, the investment industry, and that all of those aspects? Yeah, that's a great point. One of the biggest challenges with longevity is that, and this is to everybody who's uh, financial advisors out there is, you know, people typically plan to live till 80 or 90. And what happens if you're living for another 30 years? What do you do? Well, uh, and what happens to uh, to Medicare, Medicaid, so you know, Social Security? Well, I think one of the things is going to be, uh, and I talk about this and I write about it, is um, we're going to have to move the retirement age if people are healthier longer, right? When Social Security was put in place, retirement age uh, and Social Security was set because that's when on the average you died. It was like you would like retire and then you would give your bits back to the environment. And uh, as well, um, you know, we need to realize we need to plan for a longer life. Uh, and that's part of this future we're moving into. I think uh, that's actually uh, the mention you had there about having these assets for much longer. And uh, we, in, in exchange our emails, you did mention you want to talk about Bitcoin. So this is an opportunity I wanted to transition into the the intersection of Bitcoin and longevity. Because in uh, your uh, webinar, a much watched webinar with Michael Saylor over the summer, yeah, you, you touched on the topic of how Bitcoin has become potentially a, a big part of the longevity equation because of the blockchain infrastructure, it can keep an immutable record. Uh, and if you're living longer, it can hold the store value for a much longer lifespan. And I believe a point that was brought up by you and Michael was a lot of people don't realize how bad inflation is because they die basically before inflation destroys their wealth. So I'd oh love to, you to jump yeah. into longevity yeah, and Bitcoin. Yeah, let's dive into that. And uh, besides uh, Michael Saylor, by the way, Michael is a fraternity brother of mine from my early right. days at MIT. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, we were both space cadets, and uh, and and we didn't we lived right next to each other for a number of years. Brilliant, brilliant guy, um, and I'm extraordinarily excited to see the passion and and the fer you know fervor he brings to his uh, his fundamentalist uh, point of view here. But also on that we on that uh, webinar uh, was another friend, Bill Bar uh, uh, Bill Barheit, um, and you know Bill is the uh, uh, the CEO uh, of a of a great company that you know I use uh, Abra for all of my all my crypto. So just I don't want to leave him off the off the conversation there. Right. Um, and so Michael and Bill and I were uh, talking about the notion that Bitcoin in one way equals abundance. We're seeing you know everybody thinks they're absolutely brilliant because their real estate's going up, because their stocks are going up, because they're you know, getting all this interest on on uh, on their assets, but what they don't realize is, honestly, it's the result of 
of pumping unlimited amounts of capital into the U.S. and the global economy to the point where it's it's ridiculous where we're devaluing dollars at a rate that uh, that people just don't understand. And so uh, as we're moving, as we're living longer um, and we're digitizing the global economy, uh, I think Bitcoin is a fundamental um, cornerstone of a long lift lived exponentially digitized uh, world. Uh, and so, you know, one of the big questions is, you know, how much uh, should you invest in there? At what stage in your life? And, you know, everybody I talk to, I say, you know, uh, at a, you know, this is my humble opinion. I'm not an economist, um, but I'm moving as much of my cash out of U.S. dollars and into Bitcoin. And, you know, I'm probably 80, 20 Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, and, uh, you know, when I can get, you know, 4% to 8% interest rates on Abra for my crypto, rather than sticking it in the bank for, you know, zero interest rates and, and deflationary pressures, uh, that's insane. Yeah, that's uh, so for you, it, it, especially with how you look, right? You've used the word abundance a lot with Bitcoin and this longevity piece is of all the technologies out there, uh, digital money seems inevitable. And as you and Michael uh, alluded to, it's like, this is, I can believe you called it the apex property of the human race a number of times. Yeah, it, it, it is. And it's, um, uh, it's still the early days. I talk about in my book, Abundance and Bold, I talk about the six Ds of exponential. Right. Um, and just for everybody, when you digitize something, in the early days of that digitization, which is the first D, Progress is slow. It's deceptively slow. You know, if you double, like the first Kodak digital camera was 0 0.01 megapixel images. Next year was 0 0.02, then 0 0.04, then 0 0.08. It all looked like zero to the executives at Kodak, and they ignored the digital camera. But 30 doublings later, it was a billion times better, right? And you had yeah. 10 megabit uh, cameras, and film was dead. Um, and so when you digitize something, it's slow and deceptive in the beginning, then it's disruptive, and it dematerializes, demonetizes, and democratizes access to products and services. And so that's exactly what's going on. Um, you know, Bitcoin is digitized uh, assets and capital, and it's been slow and deceptive, and it's just now, over the next 10 years, going to enter the disruptive phase. And it's going to demonetize and democratize all these areas. You know, if I were to ask you, and maybe Trung, I'll put you on the spot. How old is 3D printing? When was 3D printing discovered? Oh, I'm going to be so off on this. But I'm using the 6D framework you just said. I'm going to assume it started in the 70s, but I only knew about it from like 2010. Yeah. So most of us, you know, think, oh, it's 10 years old. No, it really is going on 50 years old now. Okay. <laughs> and in the early in the early days, it was very slow and very deceptive. And now it's changing everything, right? The same thing on genome sequencing, the same thing on all of these things. So, you know, our brains are local and linear, and we think in a local and linear fashion. And ultimately, um, you have to realize that, and this is something worth memorizing, you double something 10 times, it's a thousand times better. Double it 20 times, it's a million times. Double it 30 times, it's a billion fold. And so where are you in that process on that exponential road? 
Well, you've uh, in the blog post you wrote about uh, that webinar you did with um, Michael. Uh, you did uh, write specifically the you compared the internet versus Bitcoin, and you've seen and studied exponential technologies for your entire professional career. And it looks like Bitcoin's faster than anything else uh, in terms of adoption. It, it it is, and there's so much social pressure for that, so much human justice pressure for that, and so much convenience pressure for that that. You know, as and it's interesting, right, because more than ever, you know, Bitcoin really got uh, a lot of its initial uh, launch out of the 2008 crisis. Um, And crisis tends to cause uh, industries to shift um, and new industries to come out of uh, out of no place. And so. Uh, you know, 2008 was a critical time. You saw Uber and Airbnb and really the early days of, of cryptocurrency uh, being uh, being born there. Uh, and then the COVID crisis, which led to massive, um, you know, uh, inflationary pressures as capital flowed into the global economy, uh, is accelerating this. And so um, I think Bitcoin is more necessary than ever before. Uh, and it's the means by which, I mean, think about it. Uh, I like to say that the poorest countries in the world are the sunniest countries in the world. And therefore, they're going to have in, you know, a massive amount of solar energy available to them. I also think the poorest countries in the world are the ones that need Bitcoin the most uh, right. to allow for a farmer who earns a living to maintain the wealth that they've created as their currencies are massively devalued and to allow them to become part of the global economy. You know, as Elon said, you know, uh, it's, you can look at Bitcoin as, as trading uh, information and knowledge and work across a, uh, a fair platform. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Elon has spoken a lot about money as it's basically just information transference, right? All right, I wanna take a quick break to talk about Inbound 2021. It's one of these conferences that I want you to go to this year because two reasons. Number one, it's free. So that's always nice. And number two, they're going to have pretty dope speakers. So Inbound is a, is a conference that's put on by HubSpot. It's for any like business person, salesperson, customer success, um, marketing, sales, all that good stuff. And uh, if you haven't heard Darmesh, the, the co-founder of HubSpot, he was on episode 197, one of our best episodes to date. Uh, and I'm not just saying that to suck up. It was genuinely one of the best episodes. And, um, you know, he gives his talk at Inbound and there's going to be other speakers like Oprah and Hassan Minaj and David Change, a whole bunch of other cool people. And this is a free conference. So if you're like me, you like getting inspiration, you like getting new ideas, you want to grow your network, you want to learn what's happening on the frontier of all these different fields then uh, I recommend going to this. Go to Inbound 2021. Um, you can find it at inbound.com. Inbound, like I-N-B-O-U-N-D, inbound.com, and go get a free ticket. Trust me. Yeah. And uh, yeah. The, the question I had then, just to kind of tie a bow on a Bitcoin longevity was, and you mentioned, did mention this in the webinar, is the idea of if you are going to live to 140, 150, and uh, the example that you brought up in the in the blog post was, where, you, where will you put a million dollars today if you yep. will be alive 100 years from now and you want that million dollars to be safe and are accessible? And the answer seems to be Bitcoin. Well, there's nothing else that I can think of. Um, I mean, super high value real estate, uh, super high uh, Stradivarius, you know, super high value assets. But if you want something that's got liquidity and transferability, uh, there's just one. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
that's on the Bitcoin side. Uh, was there anything else that, uh, uh, that has the XPRIZE done any crypto related uh, prizes yet? And if not, mm-hmm. is that on the menu? Oh, it's always on the menu. <laughs> okay. And the, and, and the answer is uh, we will. And I'm just trying to figure out, uh, you know, what would be the best there. But, you know, we'll, I, I think the areas around social tokens and, and, and identity, um, there are some, I, I think rather than a Bitcoin X prize, are there going to be prizes that we're going to launch in which, uh, which uh, you know, a token economy and cryptocurrencies are the solution that will win those prizes? Uh, that's interesting. And that, that gives a great use case uh, and, and, and popularizes probably crypto more, which I know is very important to you, popularizing yeah. these different exponential technologies. Um, the next one I want to get into, very popular amongst our, our audience, was uh, the space race. Uh, uh, you've been yeah. involved for a very long time. It's a very uh, high-profile year for space uh, with Blue Origin. Uh, I think Elon's sending a couple of people to space tomorrow, actually. Uh, and, yes, uh, my question, some friends of mine. <laughs> some friends, absolutely. So uh, the first question I had was, uh, the Ansari Prize was from the mid-90s. That was the first X Prize. It was around sending, I believe, uh, three humans, 100 kilometers into space and back. Uh, that was awarded in 2006. Uh, almost 25 years now. Is space, from when you started that prize, where you believe it, uh, you would foresee it 25 years later? Are you ahead or are you behind? Or where, and where do you see it 10 years from now? Wow. That's a great question. So let me give the background. I was born in the 60s. I was, you know, Apollo was going on and it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. We're going to the stars, right? Apollo showed me what what the world could do right now. And then, uh, and then in the 60s also came out this scientific documentary called Star Trek, and um, uh, which is a joke, but uh, I, you know, we just <laughs> saw the, the you know, the... Uh, you know, the 50th anniversary thereabouts. Um, and Star Trek showed me where the human race was going in the long term. And I became enamored with space. It was right. everything to me. My parents wanted me to become a doctor. My dad was a doctor. And that was like, okay, I'll go do that. But I really want to go become an astronaut and do space. Um, over the next couple of decades, I got a six pack of degrees. I got my pilot's license. I did everything, met a whole bunch of astronauts. And then realized my chance of becoming a NASA astronaut like one in a thousand. Right? I had a better chance at five four becoming an NBA All Star than I did uh, having a uh, becoming an astronaut. And the challenge was in the you know in the eighties uh, and even into the nineties, all everything in space was government. It was right. all government, and and um, the government was not taking risks, and it was not flying individuals, and so. In 1994, I get a book from a friend of mine. It's called The Spirit of St. Louis. It was written by Charles Lindbergh. And in this book, Lindbergh talks about the fact that in 1927, he flies from New York to Paris to win a $25,000 prize. And I had no idea he was going after a prize. And as I dug into this prize, I realized this guy, Raymond Ortega, puts up 25000 bucks, which is today about 5 or $6 million. And he offers it to anyone who can fly between New York and Paris and Paris and New York. Nine different teams go after it. They spend 400000 uh trying to win the prize, uh, 16 times the prize money. And, and Ortega only play, pays the winner. Um, you know, I think, oh, my God, this is amazing. You only pay for success uh, and there's no downside. So I came up with the idea of the X Prize 
and X was going to stand for the name of the person putting up the $10 million because I didn't have it at the time. And uh, what happens is I launch it in 1996 under the arch in St. Louis uh, without having the money, without having any teams. I just, you know, rolled the dice. Um, and I met Anusha Ansari, who had just sold her company for $1.3 billion, a fellow space cadet. And she funded the $10 million prize. And we called it the Ansari X Prize in her honor. And uh, it was won a few years later in 2004 by Burt Rutan, funded by Paul Allen. Richard Branson came in and bought the rights to Spaceship One to build yep. Spaceship Two, which is now going. I've known um, Jeff Bezos since the 80s as well. Uh, my first company or organization ever was a group called Students for the Exploration and Development of Space, SEDS. It was a college-based group, and I was the national chairman, and uh, and Jeff was the president of the Princeton chapter. Um, and, you know, Jeff came out of that. I met Elon back in 2000, 2001, uh, just before he was starting SpaceX. And, you know, when the prize was won in, 20, in, in, 19, in 2004, um, if you had asked me how long it would take to commercialize suborbital flight, I would have guessed five years at the outmost, six years. It's been 17 years. And that's right. just crazy. And what's even crazier, you know, and kudos to Elon, who is off the charts brilliant as an engineer, as a designer, and as an entrepreneur, is what he's accomplished um, runs circles around the suborbital business. Because here's the deal. Um, going suborbital uh, is gets you to about Mach uh, 3. Mach three and a half, Mach four as a speed to get to 100 kilometers altitude. Going orbital is Mach 25. So it's it's about seven times the velocity. And for remembering your high school physics, you know, uh, kinetic energy is one half mv squared. And so it's a square of the velocity. So uh, it's about 50 times harder to go to orbit than it is on a suborbital flight. And what Elon's done with... Uh, with SpaceX and Falcon 9 and now Starship is extraordinary. You know, I love the fact that two of the wealthiest humans on the planet, their passion is both opening right. up space. So uh, I have confidence that uh, we're doing it uh, right now, right here. You know, Jeff and Elon are, are going to pour their, their billions in. And, and I know that's where their heart fundamentally is to make the human race a multi-planetary species. So uh, basically, it's a little bit slower than you expected, but there's ma massive progress would be kind of a summary on that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hit an inflection point uh, of recent, right? I mean, Falcon 9 uh, has decimated the pre-existing aerospace industry, yeah. right? It's, I, I remember when Falcon 9 la uh, landed its first stage, I said it's a nail in the coffin for the uh, traditional industrial military complex who were flying complete expendable boosters and, and they're, they're unable to even, you know, uh, come a fraction uh, close. And when Starship begins becoming operational, it's game over. Yeah. Um, the, the last question I had regarding the space, 
race was. I know the media loves to frame. Obviously, you talk, you just talked about how you're doing something in the media space, which might take this kind of make it moot, but they love framing Bezos versus Musk. I know they're doing two very different missions. Uh, Bezos is more about building a space economy. Uh, Elon is very specifically about creating a multi-planetary species. So do you see a competition uh, being an insider in the space or do you see it just more, you know what, they're kind of doing different things and we can all succeed? So um, they have two independent visions that I both love. So first and foremost, you know, Elon is enamored with going to Mars. Uh, he has agreed to go to the moon first because that's what NASA's mission is. Um, and I think that's the logical thing. Uh, the moon is sort of a way station, a, a interim fueling point. The, you know, the moon has water ice on the poles and has um, – has uh, uh, lots of oxygen in in the lunar regolith, um, and Starship can get there easily. But you know, Elon's vision is wanting to build Starships to go and bring human and supplies to Mars and really colonize Mars for the long term, uh, and build you know Starbase One on the Martian surface. And that's awesome. I, I wish him uh, all the luck and. I remember walking into his office one day and he was kind of depressed about what was going on. I said, what's wrong? He said, I just realized, you know, Falcon is not going to get us to Mars and I need to re-engineer what we're doing like from the ground up. And that's what Starship came out of. Um, you know, Jeff, uh, Jeff was at Princeton and there, one of my mentors was there, uh, a guy named Gerard K. O'Neill and, and Gerard K. O'Neill ran the Space Studies Institute and he wrote about and talked about that if you can mine the moon for resources and mine the asteroids for resources, you can build uh, what have now been called O'Neill colonies. And these are large cylinders. Imagine uh, like a kilometer in diameter. And these cylinders, when they rotate and they're capped at the end, uh, you could live on the inside of that. And so the idea was these million person population cylinders that uh, were in free space, meaning they were not on a planetary surface that had gravity. They weren't on Earth or the moon or Mars. They were co-orbiting the sun with the Earth. And um, you would sell up, set up a civilization there. And when that civilization grew to a million people and it hit its population limits, you'd build another one. And like a bacterium, it would, it would split. And eventually, this would be how the human race would expand. And we would, you know, the vision is move all of the heavy industries off the planet into space and, and keep Earth, I think Jeff described it as a uh, uh, zone for a light industrial. Um, and, and that's, you know, a very cool, and they're both valid. Um, and what we need is to really make space uh, economically um, uh independent of the earth uh, and everything we hold the value on earth metals minerals energy real estate are in near infinite quantities in space and consequently right. i think we will get there and so uh, just to summarize they both do have very different missions and you're just happy they're both attacking it in their own way they both have very different missions and they're both very valid missions and because they both have the wealth to really fuel this and do it it's going to happen, right? Um, okay. We're not going to see this happening from, from governments. 
governments will support, governments will be involved, they'll give contracts and so forth. But it's, you know, only the fact that Elon was able to like fuel SpaceX in the early days with his first hundred and, you know, $120 million that got it to where it is. And, and yeah, from PayPal sale and, and Bezos has committed a billion dollars a year, probably more now that he's retired from Amazon. And I truly hope he'll take on the mantle as CEO of Blue Origin, his company, to really have it succeed as well as Amazon has. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so we'll move on to the last section here, which will also touch on more Bezos and Musk, but it's a more broader question that we kind of discussed via our emails. It was, uh, you've dealt with so many and uh, interacted with so many high performers, whether that be Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Tony Robbins, Larry Page, uh, Ariana Huffington. Um, yeah. An important thing you've mentioned in the past is, uh, I believe you said mindset is might be the most important variable in the, as a key to success. So I'd like you to discuss, I'd love for you to discuss uh, the different yeah. mindsets that you've uh, touched on. Happily. So here's my question, right? If you, if you think about the most successful entrepreneurs in the world, Anusha Ansari, Steve Jobs, Elon, Jeff, you know, uh, Muhammad Yunus, whoever it might be, what do you think was the most important asset they had? Was it their money? Um, was it the technology they had? Or was it their mindset? And I would posit that if you took away all their money and all their technology, but you kept their mindset, that they would regain a tremendous amount of their of their success, right? Or have the highest probability. And and so the thing, one of the things I realized is very few of us actively shape our mindset, saying, you know, I want more of a mindset like this, or more of a mindset like that. We just sort of our mindset gets adopted from your conversations with your friends, your mom and your dad, where you grew up, right? I mean, just think about it. Do you, have you taken the time to shape your mindset? What mindset do you want? So um, I started realizing this as important because I, I had adopted a abundance mindset um, and an exponential mindset, a longevity mindset and a moonshot mindset and I realized I got those mindsets from my work with XPRIZE and my work in my books I wrote and my work with Singularity University and Abundance 360. So a few years back, I run this uh, Abundance 360 uh, uh, year-round executive program, mastermind program for these 400 CEOs. And I said, you know, the most, thing, most important thing I delivered to them is mindsets. So I started teaching and and crafting around these four mindsets. And one of the things that you'll appreciate, uh, Trung, is the whole world of, of neural nets, right? Uh, as we're training a neural net uh, to learn to recognize faces or cats or dogs, whatever, the way you train that neural net in the AI world is you show it example after example after example right. after example, and it shapes the neural net, right? So your brain is a neural net too. And we're passively training our neural nets of our brain. And when you're watching CNN or Fox News, right, what I call the crisis news network or the constantly negative uh, news, you're training your brain to be in a constant state of siege. It's like murder, 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 shooting, bribery, impeachment, murder, 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 shooting. You know, it's, that's, it's it. It's like, do you really want to train your neural net to be sensitive to and focused on all this negative news? What if you trained your brain on all the incredible breakthroughs going on in the world? So you start to see the world from an abundance, an exponential, 
uh, a moonshot and a longevity mindset. And so that's what I started doing. And, and uh, there's some great videos on the uh, Abundance 360 website. If you, if you go there, just a360.com, and you can learn more about these mindsets. And so every year and throughout the year, I will come and say, okay, I'm going to show you all of the breakthroughs going on in the longevity space and why you would be a fool not to believe you're going to add 10 or 20 healthy years on your life. And what are you going to do about it? How's it going to change the money you're saving, the companies you're starting, what you're going to be doing? And so my mission is show evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence that this incredible longevity escape velocity is coming our way. And so I do that as well in exponential tech and in an abundance mindset. So I think everybody knows what an exponential mindset is. It's you realize that uh, that the world is changing at a accelerating rate um, yeah. and that things are not linear, which is what, the way our brains think. An abundance mindset is the implications of that. So in a scarcity world, and, and our brains evolved in a very scarce world in the savannas of Africa, you know, uh, you would fight over, over food. Uh, in a scarcity mindset, if you've got one pie and more people come over, you have to slice the pie into thinner and thinner slices. In an abundance mindset, you say, bullshit, we're going to bake more pies, right? And so technology is letting us bake more pies. So a great example is energy. We used to kill whales on the ocean to get oil to light our nights to read. Um, then we ravaged mountainsides for coal. Then we drilled kilometers under the ocean floor for oil. But we're living on a planet with 8,000 times more energy from the sun than we consume as a species. And so energy is truly abundant, right? And it was just a breakthrough a few weeks back from MIT and the, and the fusion world. So we're heading towards a squanderable abundance of energy. And so almost any of, high, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs are becoming more and more abundant. And, and if you have an abundance mindset, you're excited about the future. You're not fearful of it, right? If you miss an opportunity, you realize, okay, next year we're going to have 5X or 10X more opportunities. One last example there is, um, you know, people think of, of access to capital as being scarce. But every year for like the last 20 years, we have hit an all-time high in the amount of capital being invested year on year on year. So in 2020, during the pandemic, it was an all-time high in global investments and venture capital investments during a pandemic. I mean, it's like, yeah. oh my God, this is unstoppable. So yeah. no, that uh, so just to summarize, abundance, exponential, longevity, and moonshot mindset, right? These are kind of the frames yeah. that you, you use. Yeah. The and, question and I had simple. Yeah. No, sorry. The question I didn't mean to cut you off there, Peter. I just had a yeah. very specific question. Was yeah. the going back to the linear versus exponential? Um, how do you train yourself? To make that leap, is it you expose yourself to these? You mentioned, you know, do you go to new media sources? You mentioned Future Loop at the beginning uh, yep. of our conversation. So, first of all, you can't rewire your brain to go from linear to exponential. What you can do is update yourself on a regular basis about this is now possible, this is now possible, this is now possible, right? So that when you update, in the fields of exponential technologies, computation, sensors, networks, AI, robotics, 3D printing, synthetic biology, augmented virtual reality, blockchain. The thing that I do on a constant basis is I'm updating myself in all of those fields in like 
this is what you can do now. Here's the cost. Here's the capability. Who's providing it in all of these areas? Because I write about it, I teach about it, and I incorporate it into my companies. And one of the things I realized is the news does me a disservice, right? We talked about Crisis News Network and all. So I said, you know, it's not like the news they're providing isn't true. It's just not a balanced view of all the amazing things going out there in the world. Right. And I said, what if I can create a, uh, an algorithm that would search the world's uh, tweets, articles, journal publications for, uh, for news that had the following attributes? It was at a positive incentive, a positive uh, uh, framing. Uh, it was future forward. It was looking for places where converging exponential technologies were reinventing fields. And then it presented to me that information every day. And, and I built it uh, with some incredibly talented partners in the machine learning space. It's called Future Loop. Um, it's futureloop.com, L-O-O-P. It's free. You can go, you sign up. And every day I get 12 to 15 articles um, uh, that are in the fields I'm excited about. And these are the breakthroughs. This is what's going on. One of the things that we did in Future Loop was we created a digital avatar of me, a neural net, um, ingesting all of my books, all of my tweets, and it thinks like I think. And so it's called Virtual Peter. And Virtual Peter is part of the filtering for all of these articles. And so I'll get, you know, like four or five recommendations from Virtual Peter that I should read, and they're always spot on. And then in categories like transportation and health and AI and manufacturing and so forth. Here's the breaking, most important, positive, you know, uh, news in these areas. And it helps me shape my neural net. It helps me think more exponentially because it updates me every day. And it's a fun, quick read. No, that's perfect. So Future Loop, it's free. Uh, everybody yeah. can check it out. Uh, I'll probably sign up for the Peter package. Um <laughs> So, Peter, the the last things I just want to ask here, super quick, uh, rapid fire, uh, or yeah. if you could identify a superpower from some of the individuals that you've worked with. I don't want to put you too much on the spot. Uh, it could be anything, but I'll, I'll rattle off some names. Uh, so, yeah. uh, what is a superpower for Elon Musk? Uh, uh, first principle thinking. Okay. He can look at a system and and say from first principles, this should be possible, which is how he reinvented the electric car industry, looking at what batteries could be, what they could cost, and the launch industry saying it should be possible to do this and then doing it. Yeah. All right. That's great. Uh, first principles thinking yeah. for Elon. Uh, Jeff Bezos? Jeff, I would say it's building an organization that was data-driven and experimentalist, right? If I describe Amazon, it's a data-driven experimentalist, com experimentalist company. It's running thousands of experiments, looking at the data reinventing reinventing the algorithms um you know he wrote a very simple and he's very fundamentalist thinking as well you know amazon's business plan is is three short lines give people more variety cheaper faster that's it anything falls in that he does it and he'll do it okay beautiful uh tony robbins your good friend uh, what is tony's superpower oh uh, tony's superpower is passion uh, and conviction, um, and the ability to cut through a lot of the, the sort of human bullshit and, uh, and get you to see, uh, what is truly driving you. What is your, what are your true motivations and then how you can hack those. Perfect. Three more super quick. Larry Page, 
Wow. Larry Page, um, uh, again, I had the pleasure to get to know him over the course of a decade. He was on my board at, at, uh, at the XPRIZE. Um, uh, just science. Um, really just brilliant. And uh, like Elon, a first principle thinker, and just very hardcore on the science and engineering. Yeah. Uh, absolute clarity. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ariana Huffington, who I believe is also on the board. Yeah, Ariana's uh, is an uh, incredibly amazing woman. For her, I, I say it's it's passion as well. She she comes at everything with a three sixty degree of of passion, uh, and she's a very strong businesswoman. Uh, uh, everything she's done has been extremely successful. She builds a great team. Is another thing she does, uh, building her team and 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 bringing passion to it. Amazing. Uh, last one is uh, Richard Branson. Wow, um, Richard. It's first. It's charm. He is one of the most charming men on the planet, and he, you know, uh, he uh, uh, just uses that to to bring you in. And then it's how he deals with risk. So uh, you know, when when he sold Virgin Records and created uh, Virgin Atlantic Airlines, and people said you're insane to start an airline. When he bought his first seven forty seven from uh, from Boeing. He reduced the risk substantially by getting them to agree that they would buy back the airplane a year from now at the same price if the business wasn't. And that just reduced his risk massively. And then when he started Spaceship, uh, when he started Virgin Galactic, um, and he committed for like $700 million to develop uh, Spaceship Two, he went to uh, Abu Dhabi in the Emirates and sold a very large uh, a segment of, of Virgin Galactic for like $700 million. So he basically offset all of his costs he needed to develop it to an investment from somebody else. So he deals with risk extremely well and reduces the risk on his adventuresome deals. So this this uh, image, the popularized image of uh, Richard as a you know swashbuckling pirate, is just like people aren't seeing that. He's going into these deals and he's just very pragmatic, de-risking it, but also with huge moonshot ideas. Yeah, he does. And I would say for Richard, he has an amazing team, right? He builds a okay. uh, virgin management team and uh, he is an adventuresome and he, and he also lives and breathes passion um, and, and vision. You know, he's been a fellow space cadet uh, probably as long as I have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then uh, my final question for you outside yeah. of uh, the superpowers is you take on so many projects uh, one of Peter's laws is uh, multiple projects at one time. I know a lot of people are very different where they only want to focus on one thing. How do you, how would you tell an entrepreneur or investor or a young individual starting that your path potentially might be what's good for them versus somebody that just does one thing and does it very well? Yeah. So do as I say, not as I do. I do believe that uh, doing one thing extraordinarily well will give you the best uh, best return. So what I teach entrepreneurs is first and foremost, you have to find your massive transformative purpose. What is it that that emotional energy that's going to fuel you and keep you going? Because don't do something for the money. Don't do it because your mom, dad, brother, sister, best friend told you to do it. Do it because it's what's in your heart and your soul. And when you can find that, um, focus on that. And sometimes it's a 10 year journey before you succeed. Um, you know, I did have single-minded fo uh, focuses when I was running SEDS or, you know, 
I had two focuses during medical school, maybe three anyway. Uh, but today the way I do what I do, um, is I hire an amazing CEO who's just focused on the business, right? And I serve typically as chairman or vice chairman uh, of the companies. And I'm driven by my passion. I do what I love. That's the only thing I do. Because if I love it, I care about it enough and I give it everything I have. But um, there's no question that um, some of the most successful people in the world have done one thing extraordinarily well. Right. I remember getting a call from Elon one day saying, Peter, I need to step off the X Prize board because I'm going to focus on SpaceX and Tesla. And I wish I could find a CEO for Tesla so I could focus on SpaceX. And uh, I said, I totally respect that. I understand. Of course, he stepped off and he was off. He was just on SpaceX and Tesla. He owns no other investments other than some Bitcoin. But he ended up, uh, you know, getting into Neuralink and the Boring Corporation and a few other things later because, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you love creating stuff. Okay, that. So just to answer, uh, definitely, if you can do one thing well, definitely do it. But it might take you a long time to get there, which is why you might want to try multiple things early on. Yeah, and my Peter's laws, you know, I wrote: if something can go wrong, fix it. To hell with Murphy is my yeah. first law. You know, <laughs> That's law number one. Do, and do then, it by uh, the book, but you know, do it by the book. book. the author. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Peter, um, uh, where would you like people uh, to send them? I know you have a blog uh, at diamandis.com. That's probably yeah. the best place. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, diamandis.com. Uh, if you want to get my, you know, three blogs a week. Uh, if you're interested in my Abundance 360 uh, year-round executive program mastermind, it's uh, it's abundance360.com. Uh, futureloop.com, uh, XPRIZE, if you want to see what we're up to at XPRIZE. Uh, I'm working on a $100 million age reversal prize. We just launched a $100 million uh, gigaton carbon removal prize with Elon. We're in the middle of the competition of an avatar XPRIZE for robotic avatars. A lot of cool stuff going on at XPRIZE.org. Okay, fantastic. Uh, XPRIZE.org and uh, diamandis.com, two places. Uh, thank you so much, Peter. Uh, the hustle audience appreciates your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. That was amazing. Yeah, that was fun. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Like.